Hello, my friends. It's December 30th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes his young protege, Timothy, encouraging him to show himself an example of those who believe. He says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. One reason why Paul exhorted Timothy and others to do this is that not everyone had the Scriptures. And by the way, they did not have the New Testament yet. Do we take for granted the privilege of having the complete Bible in our hands or on our phones or tablets? Do we give attention to reading the Word that God has given? Do we have it written on our hearts? The One Year Bible Tour Guide is a daily podcast in which we read consecutive portions of the Old and New Testaments and then give the sense of it, seeing how it fits in the overall context of its central message. I look forward to the new year and will purpose to give more time and attention to meditation upon the scriptures, as it is fresh manna for us. We read in both the Old and New Testaments that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I hope you will join us as we start afresh on January 1st in reading through the one-year Bible once again. This is our penultimate episode of the year. Today we start the final book of the Old Testament and continue to read the final book of the New Testament. The last book of the Old Testament is written by the 5th century B.C. prophet Malachi. It is the 39th book in the Bible. And as we will see, it bridges the gap of a 400-year silence between the Old and New Testaments, a famine of hearing the word that is not broken until the arrival of the one who is prophesied in this book, the forerunner, John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And today we can look forward to a breathtaking glimpse into the future in the book of Revelation chapter 21, as the Apostle John beholds a new heaven and a new earth, the eternal kingdom of our God and of his Christ. He beholds the throne of God and assures us that God will wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people, and death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. First, let's go to the book of Malachi to hear the last prophetic call before God drops a curtain of silence as the world waits for the arrival of the expected one. Apart from the coming of the Messiah and his reconciling work on the cross, we are left with the last word of the prophet Malachi, which is a sobering word speaking of the curse in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. John Phillips writes, quote, The New Testament begins where the Old Testament ends. Without the New Testament, the Old Testament tells of a beginning without an ending, relates hundreds of promises and predictions without any lasting fulfillments, and begins with blessings and ends with a curse. Gratefully, we now acknowledge that the silence of God has been broken. God has spoken to us in these last days in His Son. In Hebrews chapter 1 we read, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the person and the work of the Messiah that is anticipated in the Old Testament. 
The prophet Malachi's predictive prophecy looks beyond the coming of the messenger John the Baptist to the reconciler Jesus Christ. It is in him that the many promises of the Old Testament come to fulfillment. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Malachi chapter 4 verse 6. Now let's go to the prophet Malachi and begin reading from chapter 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Malachi chapter 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The Lord's love for Israel. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, They may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. The Priests' Polluted Offerings A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, What a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock, and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Chapter 2 The Lord rebukes the priests. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me, 
he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. Judah profaned the covenant. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. The Messenger of the Lord You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament passage today from the book of Malachi. Now let's take a few moments to recap and reflect. The name Malachi means the messenger of the Lord. As a prophet, he is a messenger, and he speaks of a coming messenger. As the last book in our Old Testament, the book of Malachi bridges the 400-year gap until the beginning of the New Testament with the dangling prophecy, I will send my messenger, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. In the New Testament Gospel of Luke, we read that John the Baptist is the sent messenger Malachi referred to. In Luke chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and also the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 23. Malachi was a reformer. He offers rebuke and encouragement to the nation of Israel. He presents God's verdict on their long history of rebellion and exposes their present callousness towards their covenant-keeping God, who chose to rest His favor upon them and grant them many privileges. Sin not only breaks the law of God, it breaks the heart of God. Malachi's responsibility is to call the nation to repentance. It has been 100 years or more since the exiles returned to Jerusalem from Babylon. The initial joy and enthusiasm that came with the rebuilding of the temple under the governance of Zerubbabel, the repair of the walls under the leadership of Nehemiah, and the reform under the leadership of Ezra the scribe had faded away. A spiritual malaise had settled in. There was a spiritual indifference among the people and a dangerous negligence to heed the word. 
Malachi contrasts God's role as a faithful lover and Israel's role as an unfaithful covenant partner. The Lord says, I have loved you, in Malachi 1 verse 2. Israel answers, How? The Lord responds that He has clearly shown His intentions by providing favors to them that He did not show to others, including Jacob's twin brother Esau. Whereas Esau was allowed to experience the just deserts of his actions, Jacob was shown unmerited favor. Even when Esau, otherwise called Edom, applied his own efforts to earn God's favor or to build again on the ruins incurred for his own sins, God sovereignly superintends to make him an example of human futility. Whereas Jacob is an example of someone undeservedly blessed by God's sovereign grace, God would use both his blessing of Jacob, that is Israel, and curse upon Esau, that is Edom, to manifest his righteous mercy and justice. Your eyes will see this, and you will say, The Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. Malachi chapter 1 verse 5 The Lord has loved the people of Israel and is continuing to do so, despite their continued indifference towards Him. He kept His covenant promises and persisted in loving Israel as His bride, patiently waiting for her to respond from the heart. Yet her love for the Lord had dropped off to the degree that she questioned His love. In Malachi's day, the people of Jerusalem were enjoying prosperity and still observing their temple worship services, yet their affections were cold. Their morality and piety were mere external conformities to the traditions. Sinfulness and boredom plagued their hearts. The Lord says, I have loved you, but have you honored me? A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. Here is one of the rare instances in the Old Testament that likens Yahweh to a father. The fatherhood of God will become much clearer in the New Testament. Indeed, God is the father of creation and the father of those whom he has chosen to redeem and adopt into his family. But in this case, God is saying that they showed God no greater respect than they do towards their own fathers and masters. The people have shown dishonor in verse 6 and disdain in verse 7, trivializing God's role in their lives by offering weak and sickly sacrifices, polluting the temple's altars with their unworthy offerings. Malachi offers Israel the Lord's stern rebuke. Your burnt offerings are useless fires. Their temple should be shut down due to their failure to offer God the heartfelt worship that is due Him. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Malachi chapter 1 verse 10. The Lord should be made much of, and the prophet declares that He will be made much of. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi chapter 1 verse 11. Sadly, the people of Israel show contempt for both the common grace and the special grace that their loving covenant partner has showered upon them. They find temple worship tiresome, The tribute that they bring to the Lord is either taken by robbery or they offer the poor and sick animals they want to be rid of and that are of no use to them, in verse 13. In chapter 2, 
Malachi warns the people of Israel that their blessings will be turned to curses if they do not take God's word to heart. In verse 2, this is a summary of the Old Testament. Malachi gives a contrast between the perfect anointed priest, a type of the Messiah, and the failed priesthood of the Levites. In Christ, we see the priest that God had in mind. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Malachi chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. The obedience of the perfect priest will bring the promised results of life and peace. Malachi chapter 2, verse 5, and Romans chapter 8, verse 6. The disobedience of the unfaithful priesthood brings a curse and causes others to stumble. The Creator God has the affections of a father towards his children, in chapter 2, verse 11, and a husband towards his bride, in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. But he has been a witness to their unfaithfulness. His bride has dealt treacherously against her God and bridegroom. The Lord states his dilemma. He hates divorce, in chapter 2, verse 16, but he also hates betrayal. How will the problem be resolved? He cannot ignore treachery. The careless attitude that the people of Israel has towards their own spiritual infidelity is reflected in their accommodation of evil. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, How have we wearied Him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or, Where is the God of justice? In Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only solution. It is the only hope for the restoration of the broken relationship between the holy God who cannot tolerate sin and those who have dealt treacherously with Him. He desires to show mercy and not cast off His covenant partner. Only through the cross of Christ can justice be satisfied and mercy released so the sinner can be pardoned and reconciled. Next, we move on to our New Testament reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. The New Heaven and the new earth. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
the new Jerusalem. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, one hundred and forty-four cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament portion today from the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle, a 19th century British theologian, said, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. We could also say, I pity the man who never thinks accurately about heaven. It's our inaccurate thinking, I believe, that motivates us to think so little about heaven. In Revelation chapter 20, we see a city of heaven coming to earth, we are introduced to the new heaven and the new earth. We heard the prophet Isaiah foretell of this event in the 8th century B.C. prophecies of Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, and chapter 66, verse 22. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Some 800 years later, the Apostle John has a vision of the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. When we read that there is no longer any sea, it does not mean that there will be no more large bodies of water. It means that there will be a different arrangement of water. Currently on the planet Earth, roughly three-fourths of the Earth's surface is covered with water. Apparently, this will not be necessary in the eternal kingdom. In ancient times, the sea was associated with danger, storms, and being isolated from civilization. Many who went to sea were drowned or shipwrecked. It could be that John is referring to the fact that water will no more be something to fear. There will be no evil there. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, the dragon and the beast are pictured in relationship to the sea. The dragon, Satan, stood by it, and the beast came out from it. In this regard, the sea could be the realm of evil operations. In Christ's dealing with Satan, sin, and the Antichrist spirit, there will be no more sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. In this heavenly city, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been perfected and the covenant promises of God have been fulfilled. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, the first things have passed away. Verses 3 and 4. In this day, the problem of human suffering has been solved, the wrongs have been put right, and all things are being made new. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. In verse 5. He who sat on the throne said, It is done. God the Father announces that He is the Eternal God, the Alpha and the Omega, and as we will see once more in the next chapter, He is the Triune God, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 13 and 16. The Lord Jesus has won for us access to the spring of the water of life. We can drink freely, without payment, because Jesus paid in full for our participation in eternal life. The Lord clarifies that those who have been born again made thirsty and made new, are not in any way like the unrepentant who dwell on the earth and are bound for eternal punishment in hell. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. One of the seven angels who had been given the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues invites John to be carried away by the Spirit to a great high mountain where he is shown the holy city Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God. The same angel that poured out judgment on the great harlot, Babylon, shows John a contrast, the sparkling white of the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem. In contrast to the harlot who was adorned for seduction, dressed in purple, scarlet, gold, jewels, pearls, and impurities, the bride is adorned for her husband, and clothed in all the radiant splendor that reflects the glory of the bridegroom. The city is radiant, walled, 
with twelve gates, three on each side, and named after the twelve tribes of Israel. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles. We can see here that God has a plan for the distinct placements of the church and Israel. The number twelve is consistently used to reference God's people. The dimensions of the city all have a factor of twelve. The city's length, width, and height are equal, measuring 12,000 stadia, about 1,380 miles. A stadia was about 607 feet. The literal interpretation is favored when we consider that John explains the detail that the human measurement of the wall, 144 cubits, 12 by 12, is also the same as the angel's measurement of the wall. The walls were 216 feet thick. The translucent and transparent construction material of the city enabled it to receive and transmit light. In our world, gold is opaque. Not here. The wall was built of jasper and the city of pure gold, yet like clear glass. The foundations of the walls were adorned with every kind of jewel. Each of the twelve gates were made of a single pearl. The city will speak of salvation. There will be reminders of God's redemptive work in history. Reference will be given to the story of Israel, the twelve tribes, and the story of the church, the twelve apostles. The foundation is the New Testament revelation of the person and work of Christ. The pearl is the answer of the oyster to that which injured it. It is formed by the oyster when a foreign element is introduced to it. It gives of itself to cover the irritation and makes it into something beautiful. What a picture of our redemption. These are gigantic pearls. This is a reminder that our entrance into heaven is made possible by the gigantic suffering of Jesus, who took our punishment upon his flesh and not only removed the source of irritation, our sin, he transformed us into that which can absorb and reflect light, a beautiful pearl. There was no temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb were the temple, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb of God. All the nations will walk in its light and bring their glory to it. There will be multi-ethnic tributes to the glory of God, a true worship celebration of diversity in unity and unity in diversity. It will be an eternal day. There will be no night there. The gates will never be shut. Christ's presence is what will make heaven heaven. Everything that is antichrist will have been done away with and will never be given entrance. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation chapter 21 verse 27. And now we go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 149. And reading Psalm 149 is Peter Healy. Psalm 149. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. 
Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Psalm 149 and Psalm 150 remind us that if we are walking with the Lord, everything ends up in praise. We cannot help but praise the Lord. The devil is allergic to praise. We who have come into a personal relationship with the living God have much to rejoice in. We can be glad in our Maker, rejoice in our King, and sing a new song. We can praise Him with dancing and musical instruments such as tambourine and lyre. We can praise Him in the morning and in the night upon our beds in verse 5, and as we face the battles of the day in verse 6, entrusting world events and its leaders to His watchful care and righteous judgment in verse 7. For vengeance is the Lord's, and He will repay in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Now, for our final stop in today's reading, we go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, verses 10 through 24. The woman who fears the Lord, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant, She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Today's proverb makes you think about a proverb we read earlier. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11, this woman exemplifies the graceful dignity, industry, propriety, energy, alacrity, mental, emotional, and spiritual vitality of a godly wife. Now let's go before the Lord, enlightened by what we have read in His Word. Father, we thank You for this heavenly vision and all that you have done to bring lost sinners home to yourself in Christ Jesus. We ask that this vision of what is in store for us in our eternal future will have a purifying effect upon our hearts and minds. Help us to continually set our minds on things above, so that we never get deceived by that which is deceitful, temporal, or illusory. May we never be confused about who you have made us to be in Christ Jesus. Help us to set our hopes not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are not seen. May we be reminded that we are your redeemed people, citizens of heaven, who are on our way to the celestial city. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on our tour today, where we have taken in so much. 
If you have any questions or comments, you can always write to us at podcast at newlife.org and you can receive a written copy of our commentary on each day's portion by going to our website, newlife.org. God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow for our final installment for the year. And then on January 1st, we will push out from the station and start our trek once again, hoping that you can join us in reading the One Year Bible. God bless you.